All right. Through the blood. Amen. That's good, isn't it? <coughs> All right. Let's take our Bibles tonight. Turn over the book of Psalm. Psalm chapter 119. <coughs> yeah, great, great message. Tremendous. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 119, we're going to begin reading verse 97, and then we're going to read through verses 104, okay? <clears throat> 97 to 104, and then we'll go ahead and get things moving. Again, we're beginning our new series, Keys to the Bible, Keys to the Bible. We're going to be looking at a few things that <clears throat> will help you unlock the Word of God along the way. Um, obviously, there's a number of keys that unlock certain portions of the Bible and situations of the Bible. But as I've said all along, <clears throat> the Bible's really not a complicated book. It doesn't have to be hard to understand. There are things in it that are hard to understand, but the Bible itself is not hard to understand. Uh, we're going to see that God wants us to know the book. You know, you have people all the time saying crazy things like, you know, someone that says that they understand this passage, you know, I'm a little leery of them. Well, I'm a little leery if they don't understand something. <clears throat> I mean, we ought to know the Bible. That God left it for a reason. It's not there to be some secret. It's not one of the mysteries. Right? It's not like uh, uh, the virgin birth. It's not like uh, God in flesh. That's a mystery. We understand God in flesh being a mystery. But the Word of God's not a mystery. We have the Holy Ghost to speak to us and share. We don't know everything. If we did, we'd be God Himself. But God does want us to understand the book. He wants us to know the Word of God. <clears throat> so we're going to look at some keys that will help us unlock the Bible. Enable us to understand it better, apply it better, and just utilize it better. <clears throat> Excuse me. 119, verse 97, the Bible says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. You can say amen to that. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. <clears throat> One of the goals of this particular study that I'm going to share with you is to develop or instill a love and an appreciation for the Word of God. You have to love God's Word. You and I have to love His, His truths. We have to really care about them. We have to be, they have to be a priority. They have to be very important to us if we ever want to become what God wants us to become and accomplish what God intends us to accomplish. I see in the passage a couple of things very quickly. First of all, there in uh, the first phrase that we read, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. We see here the psalmist's heart. You see his heart. He says, I love thy law. Oh, I love thy law. I mean, how I love it, Lord. It's so wonderful to me. I love thy word and thy law. I meditate on it all the day. I meditate on it all the day. Man, can you imagine that? I mean, that's the mentality. That's the heart of the psalmist here. He says, I love thy law. I meditate on it all the day. But not only do we see his heart, but we see his habit. Notice it says now in verse 100, I understand more than the ancients. Who are the ancients? 
Those are the fathers of the faith. And can you imagine this guy? The, the audacity of David. The audacity to say that he understands more than the ancients, more than the elderly men, more than the ones that are twice his age, three times his age, four times his age even. How dare he claim that to be true? Hold on. The Bible says, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Yeah, and I don't just know them. I haven't just read about them. I keep them. His habits, godly habits, biblical habits. Listen, there's anybody can memorize some scripture. Anybody can go ahead and learn some things about the Bible and have a bunch of facts and figures. Anybody can point to scriptures along the way and say, oh, I've read about Noah and his ark. Oh, yeah, I know all about the walls of Jericho. I realize and have read about David and Goliath. But let me tell you, it's a whole other thing to keep them. Keeping them is the key. Not only his heart and his habit, but notice his hunger. Over here in verse 103, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. <laughs> you have the opportunity to read your Bible an hour, go have a good steak. Which would you do? I mean, sweeter than honey. He said, man, I, I can't, there's nothing that satisfies my taste buds like a good reading in the Word of God. I love that book. I love it with all my heart, all my mind. I love it, the psalmist says. <clears throat> and that's exactly what you and I need to develop. A genuine, sincere love for God's Word. A man or a woman that says, I love God but doesn't love His Word is a liar. You say, what, 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 watch it now, preacher. You have no right calling me. I didn't call it. I'm saying a man or woman that claims to love God, but doesn't love this book that is God. How can you say one, how can you love a, a, something inanimate and not love something that you can hold in your hand? I'm not trying to be uh, critical. I'm just saying, let's be careful before we start throwing the love word around. And let's be realistic and honest with ourselves. <clears throat> it's one thing to talk about loving. It's another thing to do it. And I just want you to know that this book is something that every great Christian has learned to love and has cherished. And it's something that they just adored. I'm not talking about nominal Christianity. I'm not talking about superficial Christianity. I'm talking about Christianity that has depth to it. Christianity that has some purpose to it and life to it. There's been a love for this word. And David is none other than the great psalmist. And he says, man, I meditate all the day on that book. I love thy law and I understand thy precepts because I keep them. They're important to me. They're sweeter to me, oh, to my taste than anything. Your word is so wonderful to me. I love it. It's like honey in my mouth. And that's exactly the attitude and the spirit that you and I need if we honestly and genuinely sincerely want to understand this book. Everybody wants the McDonald's drive-through version. You know, everybody wants to be able to go through the don't go through the Taco Bell drive-through here, it takes forever. But but I mean everybody wants to be able to go through the drive-through and get the quick fix, the microwave version. I got it all figured out. I went to bed one night with it under my pillow. I woke up osmosisly knowing it all. 
That's not how it works, though. We're going to learn here tonight that it's more of a heart attitude than is anything. So in order to accomplish this, how are we going to, how are we going to understand the Bible? How, what are, how are we going to start this series off? Well, in order to accomplish a better understanding of the Word, to learn to love thy Word, we're going to have to kind of get started with the process that is spoken of in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 10. Turn there, if you would, please. Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 10. He, he expresses, a, 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 I guess, a system... Um, a process that we're going to have to institute in our lives if we want to see God reveal His Word to us, okay? Notice what he says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10. He says, can you guys shut this off? Can you do that for me? Thanks. He says, see, that's part of the verse, Jeremiah 1.10, see, (laughs) I have this day set thee over the nations, and over the kingdoms, talking about Jeremiah, he's just called Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah is freaking out because he says, man, Lord, you know what? I was just a child. You know, you called me. I was a child. I, I, I don't have any words for these people. He said, listen, you just go ahead and go. I'll put my words in your mouth and all that good stuff. And then finally, he makes a statement. See, I've this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. Notice, to root out, to pull down, and to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. There's the process. Notice, we're going to root out, we're going to pull down, we're going to destroy, we're going to throw down, and then we're going to build and plant. What has to happen before we can really understand the Word and we can really get into it and really make a, have it really impact our life? In many cases, most cases, we have to tear some things down first. We're going to have to tear some things down. You can't approach the Bible... You cannot approach the Bible with preconceived ideas. You can't do that. You have to approach it with an open mind and an obedient heart. See, when, when a reader of the Bible goes to it and already feels they kind of know what the Bible's saying before they even sit down to read it, <clears throat> you've already closed your mind, you've already closed your heart to the Scriptures. Most of the time, we do that because we're afraid of what we'll learn. When I say that, I guess I'm saying this. We're afraid of what we might learn. For instance, our tongues, something we ought to be practicing today. Someone says, well, I'd kind of be afraid to study that. I'd hate to find out something that I was doing was wrong, or maybe we are wrong as Baptists. We should be doing speaking in tongues. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, I'm not worried if you study that out. Because I know what the Bible teaches. I've I've come to the point in my life where I went to God one day and I said, God, man, if speaking in tongues means I can be close to you, I want to speak in tongues more than anybody. God, I want to know, am I missing out on something? Lord, if your Bible teaches that I can speak in tongues, that I can have a word of knowledge, that I, I can do this or do that, I want it, I want it all. And as I did study and I opened my mind to it and said, I'll be and do whatever you want, I began to learn some things. But if you go to the Bible already going, well, we know we don't speak in tongues. That's it. Forget it. I'm talking about when you go genuinely wanting to understand the Word of God. Hopefully you know some things already. But let me tell you, just because you sit in a pew for years doesn't mean you understand this book. And you're going to have to do some of your own study. And that's what this course is about, to try to help you 
to be able to have some keys that as you begin to read through your Bible, you're going to understand some things. You'll be able to unlock some doors and you'll be able to walk through and say, man, I, I think I got a handle on that. I, I think I can understand that a little bit better. I can take a few more steps because I've, I've kind of laid some groundwork. Uh, the groundwork's been laid. I'm able to move forward. You can't be afraid to really study and search the Word of God. You've got to be willing to dive in there and do it. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Make you free. Preacher, I'm going to do a study on uh, the charismatic, charismatic uh, on, on the gifts, on, the, on gifts. Oh, don't, don't do that, brother. It'll confuse the life out of you. No, go do some study. That's okay. But listen, don't think you know everything walking in. And furthermore, be real quick before you come to conclusions because you might be surprised how off course you can get and how quick you can get off course. Be careful. But by the same token, don't be afraid to learn something you're afraid of. I, that's why I challenge people. I don't care. You can go out and look at this charismatic movement. You can look at the standards I've been speaking about and whatever you want to do. I don't care. Go ahead and dig into it. Figure it out. I'm not worried because if you read the same Bible I do, you'll come to the same conclusion. I'm just not worried about it. So in this lesson of introduction, I'm going to share some, I guess, lay some ground rules. Let me give you a couple basic thoughts and a couple things that I think will help as we move along, okay? So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll do just that. Father, we love you. We need you. We ask, Father, for your leadership. Again, I appreciate my brother praying for me to be filled with the Spirit. Lord, you know I need to be. I certainly cannot function, nor can I share, Father, without your presence and power. I Father, I have nothing to give to your people except that which you give to me. So, Lord, just to help me to be a humble servant tonight, Lord, guide my tongue. And, Lord, just be with every listening ear. May you anoint the ear with, Father, just a supernatural anointing that, Father, we can hear from heaven and see with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual ears tonight. Lord, we love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, first of all, number one, the Bible is the absolute standard. You have to understand that going right into it. The Bible is the absolute standard. Um, prior to the completion of the New Testament in 100 A.D., the apostolic gifts included a gift called basically supernatural knowledge, we'll call it. Um, An example of that supernatural knowledge is seen uh, in the the New Testament, the book of Acts, as Peter confronts Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that situation there? Take your Bible, look over the book of Acts chapter 5. We're going to see that at that point the the apostles were given some really supernatural insights and and knowledge and understanding and, and, and so forth. And I want you to see how it looks and how it played out here in the book of of Acts chapter 5. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, Acts chapter 5, verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira's wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was said, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Now, again, how do he know that? Again, prior to the word of God being completed, men of God, at least endowed by the Holy Spirit, were given some special knowledge in some cases. In this case, Peter had that ability, that knowledge, that understanding. God gave him supernatural insights. And Ananias, verse 5, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, carried him out, buried him. 
That was simple. Cheapest funeral in history. Now, from the completion of the New Testament, there was no ongoing revelation anymore. Everything ceases. It all stops. There are, there are groups that teach that God is still revealing things today. That he's, he's got this, this from heaven, you know, you, you, you know, golden tablets or some kind of supernatural word. Matter of fact, if some of you caught on maybe when you were doing it at the couple's retreat and you did the, the, the gifts test, some of the stupid questions that were asked, you know, about giving a revelation and sharing it with the church. Duh, that doesn't happen, folks. We threw that in there to see if anybody caught that. I know you all did. Actually, I don't know why it was there. But anyway, it just happened that he got tired of erasing questions. But uh, the fact is, is that it doesn't happen like that anymore. It doesn't work like that. Man, this Word of God was completed, and let me tell you, there's no other further revelation needed. This is the absolute standard. This is it right here. You hold it in your hand, the King James Bible. Right there it is. Baptists from the time of Christ and... uh, the apostles have held to the doctrine of the Bible as our sole authority of faith and practice. It's just the way it is, and that's the way it's always been with the true church. And the Protestant, um, the Protestants during the Reformation, they came up with a phrase that they called sola scriptura. Sola scriptura. Which meant simply scripture alone. The only problem was with them is they never fully implemented the idea. There was a number of areas that they complied with and a number of areas that they understood that and they pulled away, many of them, from the the Catholic Church and the the, the base beliefs of the Catholic Church, but they didn't pull, uh, pull far enough away. Many of them maintained infant baptism. Many of them continued with some of those doctrines that were unscriptural and unbiblical. Why? Although they claimed that it was sola scriptura or whatever, scripture alone, they never fully implemented it. But there are and have always been men and women churches and people that have remained faithful to God's Word and literally make it their faith and practice, their sole authority. The Bible itself, this book we hold in our hand, is the absolute standard. That's the first thing you have to understand. I don't care what you read from anyone else. doesn't matter what you hear from anyone else. It doesn't doesn't even matter what I say. If it goes contrary to that book, this is the authority. That's all there is to it. Number two, there is no place, as we set the ground rules, there is no place for Bible correcting. There's no place for Bible correcting. We have an English Bible that is inspired and preserved. Both. It's both. It's not one or the other. It's both. It has been preserved perfectly. It is just as potent and powerful as it ever was. It has not lost one bit of its power over the centuries and the years. It is equally the Word of God today as it was the day it was penned by the original in the originals, let's put it that way. I, there's never been any original. Nobody in their right mind has a copy of an original, by the way. So we don't have to get into that debate right now. But we'll talk about that when we deal with the King James, maybe, down the road here in this study. But we have an English Bible that's inspired and preserved. 
Now, there are those that will say things like, well, I believe a better rendering would be. Or things like, you know, I think a more accurate interpretation of that word would be. Really? Hmm, that's interesting. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with using the Greek to amplify or to somehow expound, but if it is used to correct a word in the King James Bible, there's a problem. And someone says, well, what do you mean? Well, God's word stands as it is. It doesn't need any help from us. And, you know, if we're tempted, you and I are tempted to insert a better rendering than that of the King James, I want you to consider a couple things, first of all. Number one, I want you to consider this. Where did you get your information? Where'd you get it? I mean, it's most likely a product of a corrupt manuscript to begin with. Number two, and, and this one gets tough. Don't, don't, don't take it personal. Who do you think you are? I mean, the translators of the King James Bible were scholars' scholars. I mean, most could fluently read anywhere from three to... Read, write, and, and understand three to eight languages. I mean, these guys didn't just learn English, man. They knew three to eight different languages fluently. These men, had gave, they gave their lives to study, to learning, to sharing the Word of God. They were brilliant in their day, and they would be even more brilliant in our day. And then we turn around and read a commentary and go, I think a better rendering would be this, because we read it from somebody that probably took that word out of a Strong's Concordance that utilizes Alexandrian text as a base text. You don't, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, and we'll leave it to suffice at that right now. But we have to be so careful, okay? Number three, where did you get your information? Who do you think you are? And number three, be careful to heed the warnings of Scripture. Before you go rendering words, taking some out, adding new ones, be careful. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Let's turn there. Let's just read it together. Someone says, well, that has to do with just the revelation there. Okay. I just got to believe, though, that God's just as concerned about the rest of the book as he is the last one. I don't know. I'm just kind of, I just kind of feel that way. Oh, I know Revelation is a very important book and we love it and it's awesome and, um, I think we can understand that book to some degree uh, with our uh, present day. I mean, the book itself speaks for itself. Uh, Sometimes we try to interpret the book of Revelation based on our present circumstances and our present situation, and I think that's a grave error because all of these circumstances continue to change, and so we write books about this means this, and this means this, and this means this, and this means this, and it's not something that means anything out of the Word of God. It's something that we thought it meant because, well, over there in Iraq or Iran, they're having problems with oil, and we've got some nation that's uprising right now. That has to mean this, and that has to, this means that, and this means... Good luck. Good luck. Everything keeps changing. It's funny, as I read books from men that wrote the book of Revelation or about the book of Revelation through the years, uh, almost uh, on a, number of, a number of them will say things like, boy, I didn't realize how stupid I was till I read my book 15 years after I wrote it. You know what they're saying? They were basing some of their interpretation on the present circumstances and the social issues we were facing and and the world problems that we existed instead of just let Scripture interpret Scripture. It's not as exciting to teach Revelation, although it is extremely exciting anyway, but it is not as exciting to teach it based on its own interpretation from the Word of God 
than it is when I can take circumstances. Say, did you see Saddam Hussein over there? Uh, oh, Saddam Hussein. Oh, it looks like he could be trying to be the Antichrist. And, and it looks like that. You know, I mean, that gets exciting because it's right where we live. But that, look, it all went away. And we're still here and we haven't even got raptured yet. I mean, Armageddon took place, right? During the Middle East, the, the war over there, 1992, 1994. 96, I mean, what, that all happened, right? We're still here, though. All I'm saying is we have to be careful with the Word of God a little bit, make sure we're interpreting with itself. But notice, before we replace words, in and out, Revelation 22, 18, 19, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. We got to be real careful. We need to be honest with God and His Word, okay? Listen, be careful. Uh, there's no place for Bible correcting. Number three, there's no one that corners the market on Bible truth. No one corners the Bible, corners the market on Bible truth. Okay, that's a foundational truth. We have to understand that. Again, in the book of Revelation, you're going to find in the early church system, there was called this group called Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans were a group of uh, a people who set up a priest class over the common man. That sounds familiar. The idea was that there was a certain there were certain individuals who were qualified, who were capable to expound and express the word of God, and there were others who just couldn't do that. They didn't have the background, they didn't have the schooling, they didn't have the training. They didn't have the wisdom, the understanding. What basically was happening was they were placing themselves above common people. Nicolaitans, the word itself, means Nico, to conquer, Laos, the people, to conquer the people. The Nicolaitans set themselves a priest class over the people and basically lorded over them in spiritual matters. This was the same problem that they had in the Dark Ages. As a matter of fact, the reason why so many people were burned at stake was because there were those who sought to understand the Word of God. And they said, you're not allowed to understand it. Matter of fact, you're not even allowed to read the Word of God because you've not been trained. You've not been taught. You realize in the Middle Ages there were Bibles, literally maybe one in every church. And that Bible itself was often chained to the very pulpit so that people could not read it, take it with them, or study it. Only the priest could understand that book. A Nicolaitan type setup. Priestly order. Somebody over, somebody below. Now again, in every university in Europe during the period of time, the Middle Ages, there were, there were only so many languages that you, were able to, you had to speak in order to go to the classroom. You had to speak Greek or Hebrew or Latin. You spoke any other language, you learned one of those. If you wanted to go to the college, the university, if you wanted to learn anything else about life, learn anything else about the Bible or anything else. Because there was an exclusive group. You had to meet this standard. You had to speak this language in order to even go forward in your education. If somebody spoke a different language, they had to learn one of those three, or you just didn't go to school. Isn't that something? So basically they they suppressed, oppressed the common person. They basically resorted to bringing them to the level of serfs. You've heard of that maybe if you did some study in the Middle Ages and things. They, they made them serfs, basically, and they gave them no access to the Word of God and no basic education. 
the church basically did the same thing now. It wasn't just society at the time, the church. And there was a lot of overlap there between the church and, and the social world at the time there. But the Nicolaitan system kind of installed a priest class there as well. So you had someone like me who was the preacher, and they had just you, the common people. You can never understand this book. If you want to understand this book, you have to come to me because I've been trained. I have anointing from God. I have the, 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 the um, um, uh, certification from the university. I know this book. You will never understand it. You're just common folk. You're sheep. I'm the shepherd. That was kind of the mentality of that day. Martin Luther, Martin Luther, you've heard of him. Anyway, he broke from that tradition. He began the Reformation by committing what perhaps was the most heinous crime in history. You know what it was? He began teaching his students in their common tongue, German. That's why they hated him and why they wanted to kill him. Because he started teaching people the Word of God in their common language. They'd kept this book from people all that time. They'd cornered the market or tried to. But the truth is, God says nobody corners the market on this book. For thousands of years after that, after Martin Luther began to teach German, teach the common language and teach the Bible from it, others came along. Thousands and thousands lost their lives because they too sought to teach others the Word of God in their own languages. John Hughes uh, was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into the common languages of his day. Uh, John Wycliffe's body was exhumed and burned for the same crime. Again, the list is endless. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you have an opportunity to read about men and women who gave their lives in the process of time for the sake of the Word of God and the truths of it. Now, God makes it perfectly clear what His assessment of this priestly class is. Take your Bible, look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 6 we read, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He's speaking to the church there. He said, listen, this is one thing. You got this going for you. You, you know, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And that's something. The true church always despised the fact that there were others, some that felt that they were above others, that they themselves were the only ones that could learn and understand the book, and that you had to come to them to figure anything out and to have your questions answered. God says, no. No, he says, I also hate them. Revelation 20, 15, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Which thing I hate, he says. I hate that. Everybody has a right to this book. Everybody needs to understand the word. Everybody can figure it out if they'll yield themselves to the word and to my spirit. So, we notice three things already. One, the Bible is the absolute standard. Two, there's no place for Bible correcting. Three, there's no one that corners the market on Bible truth. Let's talk about the fourth one. Every passage has three contexts or applications. Every passage has three contexts or applications. Now, those three are simply this, historical, doctrinal, and inspirational. 
Historical, doctrinal, and inspirational. Historical, of course, the Bible is 100% historically accurate. Listen, you never have to worry as to whether or not something you read in the Bible is historically accurate. It is. The walls of Jericho fell flat, out. Guess what they found just 100 years ago or less? The walls fell just like the Bible said. Oh, we're waiting for them to finally dig up Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat. They've been talking about it for a long time, but let me tell you, they don't have to dig it up because it's 100% accurate. It happened. Do I think there's remnants of an ark up there? I don't know, but what I do know is it happened whether there is or isn't. The Bible's 100% historically accurate, doctrinal. When we talk about doctrinal, that particular context or application, we're talking about, in most cases, the prophetical aspect of it. And, and we'll note that a little bit as we move along, as we break down some passages down the road. But it's more the prophetical. How's it fit prophetically? Um, every passage, when you read it, fits somewhere in prophecy or prophetically. It's a doctrinal application, of, and, and it's so important to understand that because ultimately it helps to unlock what it's really trying to express and, and what it's trying to say. And finally, there's inspirational. This is where most of us rest as a whole, um, preachers, you hear inspirational messages. What that means is, for instance, I read a passage, I make an application to it, an inspirational application. Um, one, um, uh, you know, uh, interpretation, many applications. You ever hear that? One interpretation, many applications. What it's talking about is, is that I can take a passage in Scripture and I can preach from many different angles. Make it very practical in your life, my life. But there's still only really one real doctrinal application of that. But there's a number of inspirational applications. So we see that there are three contexts or three applications in every passage. Historical, doctrinal, inspirational. If you can begin to unlock those, all of a sudden things really start to come into focus. And then you, you, you can really make sense of things. Now finally, last but not least... The key to learning the Bible is not your intelligence, but rather your attitude of heart. Again, we're laying some groundwork here. The key to learning the Bible is not your intelligence, but rather your attitude of heart. The Word of God is not something God gave only to the educated. You know, sometimes we get the idea, well, you know what, I'm really dumb. I don't know much. I'm not very smart. I didn't get good grades in school, so I can't understand the Bible. This is not the same kind. This is not a mathematics book. It's not a book of, of geography even, although there's geography in it. This is God's Word. And you don't understand God's Word through intelligence. You understand God's Word through illumination. That comes from the Holy Spirit of God. There's not one person, I don't care what your education level is, that can't glean from the Word of God and ultimately understand the Word of God because it is God's book and He will give you understanding if you genuinely seek it. Amen. Again, it's a heart issue. It's not an intellectual issue. This is evidenced, I believe, early on in the preaching ministry of Peter and John. Look over, if you would, in Acts 4.13. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Notice these guys. Again, I mean, there were a number of learned men in that day. They had been to Bible college. They had, you know, been to the MSU, the Mystical Scholars Union. They had figured out all those, you know, all those big words, soteriology and, 
And they knew all that stuff. I mean, they knew everything. You know, you go to Bible college and they teach you these things, you know, all these big words. Why do they teach us that stuff? I don't know. Why don't they just call it the doctrine of salvation or the doctrine of salvation? Why don't they just call it what it is? But they teach you big words and then they make you test on it. What does this mean? What's, get, get, does anybody, you got another one, Brother Brad? What's one of those big words they taught us of doctrines? Eschatology. Boy, I tell you, if you know eschatology, you've got to be smart, right? I have no idea what that is even now. Maybe you do, but do you know what it is? The study of end times. There you go. Praise the Lord for that. Somebody that's really intelligent here. You need your questions answered? Go see Brother Brad. He knows. Now listen, and think about it for a minute. Isn't that what doctors do? That's what doctors do. They use these big, long words. So guess what? You have to talk to them because they got to... Doc, can you just talk to me in my language? Boy, I tell you, he's got to be smart. Listen to those big words he's using. Right? Now, again, I understand there's a need for it sometimes. And, you know, there are some aspects of it that are important and so forth. But when it comes to the Bible especially, you know, is there a need to really try to impress somebody with the vocabulary we have? Not at all. I'm not opposed to education. I'm not opposed to learning. Listen, I went to Bible college, and, and a number of the men, everybody on our staff has been to Bible college, and that's important. But, but the, the point is is that, is that it was more of a discipline in my mind than it is actually even just necessarily a learning process because if all they did was learn a bunch of rote information, that's about as far as it goes. If there's not a heart attitude in the midst of it all, they missed the whole boat. Now, again... It says in Acts 4.13, here's Peter John. They're out there preaching, of course, and they're tearing it up. And Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. <laughs> you imagine that? You guys are really bold, but you're really stupid. I mean, that's what they're saying. You know, you guys have no formal education. You're a bunch of fishermen. You don't know nothing. But look at these guys. It's amazing. Look at their ministry. Listen to their boldness. Watch what it says. And they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Man. These guys, they met the master, but these guys were something. I don't know about you, but I think I'd rather be right where Peter and John is uh, than I would be of all the, the great minds of the world at that time. For people to look at my life and say, man, he may not be the smartest, the sharpest knife in the drawer. Boy, he's been with the Lord. It's obvious. And that's exactly what they, they're saying here. Now, the edu- educated people of that day missed the first coming, didn't they? They totally missed it. Do you know who got it? Who really finally you know, made sense of it all? It was the unlearned people. It was the ignorant people, so to speak. The ones that those, those religious leaders looked down on. It was the tent makers and the tax collectors. It was the harlots and the fishermen. It was the blind and the halt and the maimed. It was those guys, those gals that figured it out. It was the common, ordinary person. They knew who he was. So all I'm saying, don't get hung up on big words. The key to learning the Bible is not your intelligence, but rather your attitude of heart. Just because you own a piano doesn't make you a musician. Likewise, just because you know some big words doesn't mean you know the Bible. One of the most amazing facts about the Bible is that, and I mentioned this the other day, I was wrong, by the way, I want to apologize. It's actually ways in my favor, though. But anyway... One of the most amazing facts about the Bible is that over 75%, I told you 70, it's actually higher than I thought it was, 
75% of the words in the, in the book, the Bible, ex- excluding proper names, of course, are one-syllable words. 75% of the words used in the Word of God, excluding proper names, are one-syllable words. And then 75, three-quarters. When John described salvation in 1 John 5, 12, he said this, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Not one word over one syllable. Isn't that amazing? Nineteen words, and every one of them one syllable. Jesus appealed to the men and to the women and to the people of his day to believe on him. And to do that, he made statements like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. How hard is that? People... This King James Bible so hard to understand. Thus and thou just trip me up. Are you kidding me? Have you, if you ever do a study on the different versions of the Bible, look at some of the words they changed out of the King James in order... By the way, i got to be careful because I don't want to get off track because we've got to close. In order to... In order to get a copyright, you have to change so much of... A book. There has to be a percentage change in order to have a new copyright. So they just take words sometimes because they have to take words and replace them or they can never come up with enough words to get a new copyright. You'd be amazed if you look at some of the words that they changed that they say are easier to understand than what's already in the Bible. Amazing. But nonetheless, we move on. Every one of those words, I am the bread of life and so forth, is one syllable again. Again, the Bible is very easy to understand when you really consider it from that perspective. Mark Twain, as I mentioned this morning, a notable atheist, he once said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me, it's the things I do understand. Atheist or not, amen to that, Mark Twain. You know what I mean? How often do you say amen to an atheist? Now, how you approach the Bible determines what you get from it. In chapter 12 of the book of Matthew, and we're closing down quick here. In in chapter 12 of the book of Matthew, you find Israel. And um, through their leaders, they're going to commit the unpardonable sin. You say, oh, the unpardonable sin, what's that? Well, they had observed Jesus performing all those miracles. They had watched him do the supernatural. He proved that he was Messiah, and still they what? Rejected him. That's what we find. Then comes chapter 13. In chapter 13 of the book of Matthew, we have the parables. What are the parables? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 through 11, his disciples ask him, Why parables, Lord? Why are you going to these parables? And here's what they, he says to them in Matthew 10, oh, 13. Go turn there, would you please? Matthew 13, verse 10 through 11, because we are almost done now. He's being accused of performing miracles in the power of Satan. He's being rejected by the leaders of Israel. 
And he begins to talk to them in parables. Why parables, Lord? Why are you doing this? Matthew 13, verse 10 and 11. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. What? You mean to tell me the Lord's speaking and He's honestly, there's a people He doesn't even want to give to give them? He doesn't want them to understand. Yeah, that's exactly. Didn't He just say that? He said, I don't like God like that. Don't matter who you like or what you like, He's God. Do whatever He wants. Now hold on, what's the big deal here then? Why could God say, because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given? Remember what they had just done. They rejected Him already. All right, turn their back on the Lord. They started attributing His miracles to the power of Satan. They rejected Christ. He says, listen, I'm going to talk to them in parables. We're going to find out who really believes and who doesn't. And you know what we're learning from the Lord here? Is you have to come to His book in all sincerity. Or guess what? That book is going to trip you up more than any book you ever read in your life. A parable is an exact, infallible truth given in veiled form for the express purpose of messing somebody up who comes to God dishonestly and rejects what the Bible says. That's what a parable is. It is an infallible, exact, infallible truth given in veiled form for the express purpose of messing somebody up who comes to God dishonestly and rejects what the Bible says. You can go ahead and you can be in church your whole life. Be saved, even. If you don't come to God's Word sincerely, genuinely, honestly, you're going to get tripped up by it. You'll never understand this book. If you don't understand how valuable it is and how needed it is and how much you ought to love it and you, you, you don't love it with all your heart and you look at God and you say, well, there's some things I agree with and there's some things I don't and I, I don't like when you tell me I have to do this and do that. I don't agree with that. and Don't expect to understand the book. He's going to trip you up. But remember, every time you fall, you take people with you. Be careful. The Bible is the absolute standard. There is no place for the Bible correcting. There's no one that corners the market on Bible truth. Every passage has three contexts or applications. And the key to learning the Bible is not your intelligence, but rather your attitude of heart. One of the goals in this series is to instill a love and appreciation for the Word of God. Remember the psalmist's heart. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Remember his habit. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Remember his hunger. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Each of us make up our mind tonight as we begin to go forward in our study. As we truly try the best we can to wrap our mind around this book called the Word of God. Realize that God intends us to know it. He wants us to understand it. And He, more than anything, wants us to apply it. And if our heart, our habit, and our hunger will mirror the psalmist, we will get a handle on this thing called the Word of God. God help us to do just that. Father, we come to You. We thank You again for just this first little lesson, just this foundational message or lesson in this series. Lord, as we begin to provide keys that will unlock truths, 
Father, may we come honestly to your word. And I believe tonight there's a number of people that have a genuine, sincere desire to learn and understand your word. But, Father, we can't, we can't, nor will we ever really understand it without a genuine love for it. Just a desire, a thirst, a hunger. Father, may you bless us tonight. Lord, be with our invitation. And, Lord, there might be someone here without Christ even. Lord, if that's the case, even on this cold night, we can't, Father, assume that no one has need of Jesus. Lord, if there is someone that even remotely questions whether or not heaven's their home, may they come to an old-fashioned altar as the moment the music plays and see me, and I'll have them take a Bible and we'll show them how to be saved. For the believer tonight, Lord, speak to our hearts. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. As the music begins to play, you come tonight. Oh, God, I... I haven't loved your word like I probably ought to. Oh, it's important to me, but not as important as it ought to be. A genuine sincerity. And nothing wrong with education. Nothing wrong with even Bible college. Those are good things. But you don't have to go to a Bible college to get a grasp on the word of God. Everyone can understand this book. Are you saved? Do you know Christ without a doubt tonight? You got it settled in your heart, your mind? And then ask, are you perfect? If you think you're perfect, you aren't saved, that's for sure. Sinners get saved. Paul the Apostle said he was chief of sinners. I'd have to say to the Apostle Paul, I think you come in second, buddy. Or somebody else cheaper me scripture and then after that we're going to begin to look at some rules of Bible study things that you have to understand in order to unlock the word of God just a number of things that will be important and encouraging to you help to you the only reason the preacher ought to know more than the people is because someone has to be out front leaving but there's no reason why you can't learn the word of God you ought to say, you know what? I want to know more than that preacher does. And that's okay too. Who knows what God will do with you if you make that kind of decision and go forward like that. You'd be surprised. And there might be some, I think of a few of you around here that might know more than me already. <laughs> say, is that intimidating? Well, no, but it is motivating at times to keep up with things and try to stay on top of it so you guys don't get too far ahead. We need to know the Word, all of us. We're all believers equally involved in this work. Let's stay at it. All right, you may be seated. Come on up, Brother Kavanaugh. We're going to go ahead and make this uh, happen. We're going to introduce some of our um, our new members, and then we're going to go ahead and, uh, well, 
take some instruction from Brother Kavanaugh and move along here. I'm going to have my wife come on up and uh, give me a hand with this. And uh, what we do normally here is I'm going to call your name with those that have joined the church over the last few months. And uh, those are in order there. And um, you're going to get a lanyard for my wife. And it's just got your name on it there. And so people can get a chance to know who you are. And uh, you just put that around your neck if you would. And, uh, and then we'll move forward with the evening. So uh, there's quite a few uh, that because of weather and different circumstances aren't able to be here tonight. Uh, but these are the ones that have joined the church over the last several months. We have uh, Arthur Gould, um, Brother Brad Gonsner. All right, Gonzer. What it Gonzer? All right. You can come on. Yeah, yeah. We're glad he's finally joined the church here, officially a member. And then his co-staff member. Gonzer. Gonzer. All right. Yeah. If you could stay up here, uh, if you could stay up here and uh, stand across the front, if you would, and then. Uh, yeah, we want to keep you up here as long as we can. Breaky and rough here, all right? So, yeah, if you would just stand across the front. And then we have uh, Miss Betty Watts, uh, not able to be here. Um, oh, she is here. All right. I didn't see her earlier. Good to see you, Miss Watts. Uh, Christina Penrod, if you would come on up. All right. Uh, Wendy Baker. I know I saw you around here somewhere. Uh, Tammy Hill. I don't know if I saw her here tonight. All right. And then we have the Dixon family. And uh, this is Brother Mark. Uh, Kathy, Jessica, and Camille, if you would all come on up, if you would. Uh, Jennifer uh, Minnick, Jennifer, I know I saw her here. All right. Uh, Miss Debbie Wares, and then we have Brother Frank Leach, and then the Firths, all right. And I know Sarah's here, all right. Her husband wasn't able to make it tonight, but we're going to make her stand up here and be embarrassed uh, by herself, all right. <laughs> and uh, these are... The new members of Community Baptist Temple, they've joined uh, the body here, and uh, we've got quite a few more um, that just aren't able to be here tonight. And the, tonight, we want you to go out of your way, all right? Uh, maybe you don't, I'm horrible about remembering names, I'm horrible about putting myself out there, but this is the opportunity tonight to really put yourself out there, shake somebody's hand, and ask them something more than, how are you doing, all right? And I get to know them a little bit. We've got plenty of desserts out there, and uh, so this is the opportunity to get to know brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what's the, as a role in the body of Christ is to encourage and, and exhort one another. And as iron sharpens iron, and we can't do that if we don't know each other. And so tonight's a great opportunity to do that. Um, Pastor, I believe, has a few words to say, and then we'll get some instructions. All right, again, we just want to thank um, all of our new members. And again, um, they're joining us. Uh, let me use the mic, would you please? They're joining us. But, uh, you know, the truth is we're here to encourage and help them as well. And so it's kind of a give and take thing. But uh, we're so glad that the Lord's encouraged them to join and be a part. And we do. We, we want to be a blessing to you. And many of you have been around for a little while already. You know how things work. But if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. But, again, we're so honored to have them with us. As they depart here in just a moment, we're going to give them a hand, but they're going to go to the back. And when you see them today, make sure you shake their hand. Let them know how glad you are that they've joined, become part of our membership in our church. And, again, we'll thank the Lord for that in these coming months as they'll be tremendous assets to us in the long run as well. We get a picture there. That's good. Trying to get everybody in. That's good. We can look toward the camera there, and that will be great. Make sure you're smiling. Do the best you can with what you've got. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't sound too promising, did it? All right. Well, let's give them a hand tonight.
ahead and all right, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and dismiss them in just a moment. You got some instructions for us, brother? Okay, I do have an instruction real quick. I'm gonna ask that all parents keep their children with them as you go through lines tonight. Please do that for us, would you? I'm sure Brother Cavanaugh was going to mention that, but I just thought of that. And uh, we're going to make sure that these folks get to go through first to begin with. And then um, I'll tell you what we want to do tonight. Can you release tonight all of those that are over 50? 50 and over get to go first, okay? You kids will stay seated tonight. Nobody gets out there. Last time we did this, I got run over. Now, I shouldn't have been in the front of the line, but anyway. (laughs) So, Brother Kevin, I'll give some instructions, all right? Thanks again. All right, we're going to go ahead and have all of our new members. If you would go ahead, you head out there and go through the line. Um, Let's give them one more hand as they're heading out here. Feel free to go ahead right through the line there, Miss Wendy, and um, start us off. You can get yourself some treats before you're run over, too, all right? All right, and then as Pastor said, we are going to ask that if you have children, to make sure you keep them with you, and then we'll let the 50 and older dismiss first. And um, what the way that this line works, I know it's not the ideal situation. You know, we're down here, and we're making do with what we've got, right? Like some of you had to do with your smiles and your faces. But um, we're making do with what we've got, and so you go out the doors, and you immediately turn left. There's the line right there. It's not a two-sided line. It's just one side, so you go around one side and work your way around the U, okay, the shoehorn out there. And uh, it's all desserts, and you'll get plenty of them out. There's plenty. There's coffee, lemonade, water, all those things out there as well. And so let's go ahead. We're going to pray for this food, and then uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask those that are 15 and older, you can slip on out. If you've got kids, you can stay seated, all right? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, Lord, we do thank you for this evening, Lord. We thank you for uh, the great time we had in the Word this evening, keys to the Bible, and learning that the importance of, of loving your word. And uh, Lord, we just thank you that you've given us your word. and You're not trying to hold anything back from us, not trying to keep secrets from us, that you've laid it out plain and simple for us how we ought to live our lives. And Lord, I just pray that we would become students of it. Lord, I pray that you would bless those that have joined us tonight, Lord. And uh, I know that they're going to be a blessing to us, and I pray you'd help us as a church to be a blessing to them. And uh, Lord, I just pray you'd bless this refreshment time now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you.